Welcome to the Simply Authentic Podcast with Angie and Tanya, where we hope to inspire you to dream big and push past your fear, empower you to take charge of your own life, and challenge you to be the most authentic self you can be. Welcome back to the Simply Authentic Podcast. I'm Tanya Murphan. And I'm Angie Mullings. And today we are here with part two of Overcoming Obstacles. And Tanya is going to share with us her story today. Yeah, so my story is a little different than yours, Angie. It comes from a third grader's eyes. So when I started to think about if I had any story about a recession or that type of thing. I went back to when I was a third grader, and I did a little research to begin with on what a definition of a recession is. And if you don't know, it's defined as an overreach by the federal government to stabilize inflation. So you'll hear in my story how bad it got in the government trying to correct inflation. Mm -hmm. So in 1981, I was in the third grade. And I've already told you and the listeners about my background of growing up in a family of builders and developers. Mm -hmm. So this story speaks to that family history. And I remember at that time being a third grader, I remember my parents and grandparents talked a lot about our family business. We were always with them and it was always a topic of conversation. We were always at building sites. We were always driving through neighborhoods. So it was, I was no stranger even as a child to hear discussions ongoing about the family business. Mm -hmm. So we, at this time in 1980 and 81, we had developed rain tree estates in the middle of Nixa, Missouri. And we weren't only building houses in this subdivision, we had bought the land, we were putting in streets, we were dealing with a much bigger project than just being builders you of homes. You were developing at that we point. Were. Yeah. So the reality of what happened to me as a third grader is I knew my dad had, had suddenly moved off to Texas. Hmm. And he had moved there for work and left my brother and my mom and I behind so that he could send money and so that we could continue to pay our bills. Hmm. So... It, he had been down there a while, according to his story, which I'll tell in a minute, but a while might have been a year to a year and a half before. It's relative, especially to a third grader. Definitely. Yeah. So he decided, he and my mom decided that we would move down there finally. So I don't think that they saw an end to the recession at the time. And we were all living apart. And so <clears throat> my mom packed us up. And I remember having to leave Nix's third grade class and join a new school and try to make new friends in Longview, Texas is where we moved to. Okay. I ended up finishing third grade in Texas, and we only lived there for about six months. So we arrived in early, I'm guessing early in the year of 1981, maybe January, February, finished the school year, and we were back for the next school year, moved back in August before my fourth grade year. Okay. So we weren't there all that long. But 
in my mind, it was one of the best memories, except for having to join a new school, of course, Mm -hmm. and having to make new friends, because we lived in an apartment complex next to my aunt and uncle and my cousins, Dabney and Brianne. We spent every day with them on our back patio, joined by a fence between the two. And I remember we had coolers set on each side uh-huh. so us kids could climb over every day. Oh, fun. And I guess the adults did too. But all I remember <laughs> is us kids doing that. Uh-huh. So uh, the complex had a great pool in it. And we spent every day at the pool in the summer, had a great summer there. It was like being on vacation, right? So to a third grader, you didn't recognize or realize that it was because you were, your family was going through a rough patch. Not at all. Yeah. I don't remember that at all. I just mm-hmm. really, to me, it was we had to pick up and move. My dad moved to Texas. We had to pick up and move. And suddenly we're living in an apartment mm-hmm. in Texas, right? Okay. So fast forward to my dad's perspective. So I called him to get his, his memory of what happened with him. And my family, he and my uncle and grandpa were knee deep at the time and trying to finish a subdivision, build houses, sell lots and feed their families. And in that day, my dad and uncle put in their own utilities Mm. to save money. So they even went and bought a backhoe, borrowed money to buy a backhoe so that they could put in their own utilities to save money. Mm -hmm. So they were in the midst of putting those utilities in at the back of the subdivision when the market completely fell apart. Okay. Everything stopped. Interest rates continued to rise in an attempt to reduce inflation. Mm -hmm. Unemployment rate at the time was 20%. And I looked up Springfield's current unemployment rate today, and it's at Mm 2.8%. So that gives you a little bit of perspective. Mm -hmm. 20% of the people were unemployed. Yeah. Crazy. Interest rates went as high as 18.45% in October of 1981 for an annual average of 16.63 for that year. Mm. And then that decade was finished at around 10% rate. That was average. So and <laughs> and and compared today to today when people think they're really high, which yes. is around seven, a little less than seven percent, they were nowhere near what they've been or no. what they were in the eighties. No. So as you can imagine, building stopped. Buying lots stopped, streets going in stopped, everything stopped. My family had borrowed the money for the subdivision from Nixa Bank, uh, which was owned at the time by the Yates family. And if you're an old Nixa person, you know the Yates name. Mm -hmm. Everybody banked there, everybody knew them. And, you know, they were friends of my family. So that's where we borrowed our money from. And they started calling because we started having difficulties paying the bills. Mm-hmm. There was no cash flow coming in. Mm-hmm. My cousin's grandfather, Merle Louderback, called the local builders and carpenters around Nixa and said he was going to Texas to work on building nursing homes. So I hear that now, and I didn't even know that that little fact. Mm-hmm. I figured they were building apartment complexes or something down mm-hmm. there for living, mm-hmm. and it was nursing homes. So I guess you know, that that was a saving grace that they were building something that people are always going to get older. Right. And right. the economy down there for that, apparently there was a need for it. So sure. he needed a crew of foremen to go. So my dad and uncle and numerous other locals moved to Texas. They had been there for a while when my dad thought maybe a year or two when he decided to move my mom and, and my brother and I down. Mm-hmm. 
Most of the men, he said, who had been down there with him were there for two to three years, some longer than that, to mm-hmm. have money to send back up here to pay bills. Mm-hmm. So meanwhile, uh, while we all went to Texas, my grandpa stayed here to run the business. And I wish he were here today for me to ask my questions to what that was like for him. I would yeah. love to hear that perspective. Right. He was the only one answering the hard questions from the bankers and mm-hmm. from the contractors that we couldn't pay our bills. Mm-hmm. My dad said that Nixa Bank ended up tacking on all of the interest on the end of our payments. And that was the only way that we kept what we owned. Otherwise, we would have lost it all. And Mm -hmm. my dad even ventured to say that possibly that wasn't best practice. Yeah. But they... They, they didn't want to take that back, I'm certain, uh, yeah. any more than they, you know, right. wanted us to keep it. So sure. it's probably a which is the better scenario right. here. So, right. so that made our, our balloons really big at the end. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the end, once my dad and uncle got back from Texas, business went back to a new normal. There was no money to be made for our families any longer in building and developing. We Mm -hmm. just had to get out of that and finish it. So he said, really, after those inflated and and ballooned interest payments, and we paid all of our debt off, we were lucky to make $1,000 on each house that Mm -hmm. we would build. So my dad said he had to pivot, that's a word we like to use, that he knew he had to start something new Mm -hmm. when he got back here. Mm -hmm. And I had an uncle, an aunt at the time, that had a successful mail order business. Mm -hmm. And so my dad went into his own version of that. And he and my mom set up this business with my dad doing woodworking because he was a talented woodworker and would build furniture and so- make signs. And mm-hmm. and he rolled a lot of grapevine wreaths in that time. Those were really popular. And they set up this full-fledged mail-order business. And for you young people who don't know what that might be, mm-hmm. you had, I remember us making brochures and my dad, my mom and dad would set the stage with this cute little wooden piece, whatever they were selling and take a picture of it. And then they took all these pictures someplace to get a brochure made. And I remember people calling our home phone, because that was the only phone we had, right? right? And asking, giving their address for my mom to mail them a brochure. They would call us and place an order. And the US Postal Service would then deliver their order probably weeks and weeks later, who knows how long that took. Um, But that's what a mail order business was, kids. And (laughs) so my brother and I saw our parents, you know, have to move to Texas. And then we witnessed them setting up a completely new business in our basement. Mm -hmm. So again, as a third and a fourth grader by now, you, you really, you have zero perspective. Right. But for now, for now... You have a great appreciation uh, yeah, for that. I have yeah, a great appreciation. Yeah, because they just really right. recreated themselves. They did. Yeah, they had to. And and in years following that, my dad got into both my mom and dad got into healthcare and worked full time in healthcare for the for another twenty eight or thirty yeah. years to have a different sort of stability in their lives. Yeah. So, 
So all of this happened because of of the economy, obviously, Mm -hmm. and there was your parents moved and decided to move your family because they were struggling and had to find work elsewhere. Mm -hmm. But what do you remember about that time as a child, as a third grader? What were your, what did you learn or, or what were your thoughts at the time? Well, my family was always frugal. I come from penny pinchers. Mm-hmm. And I I remember those times being extra lean. And I can describe it that way now. Mm-hmm. At the time, I'm sure that as a child, it just meant we didn't get to go out to eat anymore. Right. And I, growing up, I know that there were many years that we would go out to eat to a nice restaurant once a month. Mm-hmm. And it was usually Leong's Tea House, for those of you who know <laughs> what that is. But right. um, that kind of went away, and we shared a lot of meals with family. And And I, I know for certain that had my parents not already known how to be frugal mm-hmm. and how to save money and mm-hmm. had put money aside for emergencies, we probably wouldn't have survived. And, and it also taught me that to take care of your family, you'll do most anything, mm-hmm. right? You'll mm-hmm. move away to another state. You'll stay right. as long as you have to stay. Mm-hmm. It, it came with a lesson to me of you always are, if you're responsible for yourself and other people respons- have responsibilities, that you'll figure out a way to make it work and to right. pay your bills and right. to stay on top. So I have a lot of respect for my parents and wish that I could get everybody in the same room at this age right. and have that conversation with all of them mm-hmm. so that we so that I could better understand how they felt at the time. I would love to know right. Right. you know how how those conversations went and all the little uh, nuances of of the struggles that they went through. Mm-hmm. I'm certain that there's lots of stories I'm that they sure. could tell. I'm sure. Yeah. Well, thank you, Tanya, for sharing that with us. And now we have Jack Langley joining us, so we'll get his perspective on tough times and recession. All right. Well, thanks, Jack, for joining us. We appreciate you being here. We've been talking a little bit about obstacles, and for us, that normally means a recession. So you were around in 2008, 2008, yes, when the market crashed. Some people say that we're in a recession now. What's, what's the difference? What, is it the same? Is it different? Tell us. So in my world, lending, mortgage lending, it's, it is different. Mm-hmm. Um, in 2006, 2007, you know, the kind of started seeing a little writing on the wall with, um, you know, they, there were all kinds of crazy loan programs. I mean, mm-hmm. we had no doc loans. We had no income, no asset verification loans. There were all kinds of crazy loans. And luckily, uh, the company that I was with, we weren't big into that. Um, mm-hmm. We didn't do a lot of those. But there were there were loans out there that people could get where they could have an 800 credit score, buy an investment property with 100% financing, no money mm. down. So it was just driven off your score. You didn't have to prove your income. You didn't have to prove the asset. You didn't have to prove any of those things. Gosh. And it was just, so I think that's the major difference between what's going on right now um, and what uh, happened then. Um, the other thing, you know, is that I think our inventory was a little different then. Mm-hmm, I think we definitely. had a lot more inventory back Agreed. then than we have now. Um, and so with a lot more inventory 
and then a lot more loan programs that allowed just about anybody to buy a home. And right. literally, you could have a horrible credit score, but if you could show 12 or 24 months bank statements, we would take that the numbers of the, the deposits on your bank statement divided by 24 months, and that was your average monthly income that we could give you. It was just crazy program. So mm-hmm. I think the biggest difference is they've really locked down how people borrow money now, um, mm-hmm. what you have to qualify, what's necessary to qualify. And so I don't anticipate um, what happened the last time happening this time. Now, right. that's not to say that, you know, whenever you have really, really, really good years and people are able, are making really good money because employers were paying, you know, like just traveling nurse, nurses, for example, in our industry. These mm-hmm. people went from making $60,000 a year to making $260,000 mm-hmm. a year. Mm-hmm. And now they're able to buy a home. Well, that's kind of even pulled back. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I'm fearful that some people are going to lose their homes because they're not going to be able to afford the payments mm-hmm. even at the lower rates because they're not making the same amount of income. Gotcha. Right. You know, gotcha. the other part to that is that I'm noticing more and more people carrying a lot more credit card debt. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So a lot of people are charging, not able to pay the full balance. Um, so I'm starting to see that kind of go on. And with that um, and the fact that, you know, interest rates are as high as they are, it's just a harder time right now for people. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think we're just kind of starting it, to be honest with you. I think mm-hmm. we people have been using their savings and living off of what they had for a while. And I think if this continues on with gas prices, which gas prices have come down a little bit, mm-hmm. but food prices, gas prices, everything. Everything's I mean, inflated. Everything is so much higher. Yeah. I mean, every, right. homeowner's insurance has gone up. Taxes have gone up. Right. You know, almost, I don't know how many people in Green and Christian County got new tax bills this year. but All a of lot, us. Yeah, a <laughs> yeah. lot. <laughs> my personal home, my primary residence increased by more than 25%. Mm-hmm. And it was already high. Right. Exactly. So, right. Yeah. Um, we kind of anticipated that because obviously values are higher. That's that's one other piece of this puzzle is that people do have more equity in their homes now because of the price increases that yeah. we've mm-hmm. seen. And basic supply and demand, we have a lot of, we have higher prices. Our homes are bringing more basically because there's nothing else out there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So the little well, inventory. And we have position. a lot of people moving here from we do. out of state. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that when they look at our our area and most of the Midwest, they mm-hmm. see that, you know, the homes are still more affordable than mm-hmm. what you would see out west or east. Absolutely. Um, taxes are still more affordable than what they see. And um, I, I'm noticing that a lot of my client base um, are coming from places like Wisconsin, Washington, Seattle, Oregon, Arizona, California. It, mm-hmm. it amazes me how many people are moving this way. Mm-hmm. And that's that hurts. People that sell those homes typically have good cash down payments. Mm-hmm. Um, they're willing because they see, well, God, I couldn't buy a home like that in California. So they look at a $400,000 house here and think, man, that would be an eight or $900,000 house in California. Mm-hmm. I'm willing to pay more money. So they're paying over asking and it's not as much as it used to be right but i think that's what kind of hurt our inventory is Mm -hmm. that you know as fast as you could build them or whatever came on the market people are getting more than asking right Right. and what last year in 2021 22's market that's what elevated our pricing so high and you know a lot of people were like oh you know that's not worth that 
but if the guy from California thinks it's worth that, because mm-hmm. he would never get that spending yep. 40000 more, offering 40000 more in California, it's well worth it to him. So it, yeah. it skewed our pricing on a lot of subdivisions. Yep. And so now I feel like we're having to recover from those people yep. coming in and being willing to pay that much over because just because it was worth that last year, somebody was willing to pay it. Let yeah. me say it that way. Yeah. Doesn't mean that the neighbor to that house this year can get the same price, yeah. right? Uh, appraisers all have to agree with that as well. So, well, we had kind of this perfect storm of lower rates. Yep. Um, but then you couple into that higher cost to build because, you know, a thousand board feet for a builder was costing $1,800. Right. Okay. Which is the highest it's been forever. And so when you take in that cost to build, you know, they're, they're looking at every house I build, somebody's going to snatch up. They're paying over asking. I've got my higher cost to build. So naturally those prices just mm-hmm. went up of and course. now right. cost to build has dropped back down. I, I don't know the exact number, but I believe it's somewhere in the $700 per thousand board feet um, for, you know, uh, framing lumber and basically dimension lumber. But there's a lot of stuff that has gone on and, you know, now with rates doing what they've done, it's it really has slowed, you know, mm-hmm. slowed the, the business has. down. Right. Yeah. 23 has been different for all of us compared to 21 and 22, especially. So going back to surviving the 2006, seven, eight recession and, and now the, the semi recession or whatever you want to call it, that we were kind of in what, what, if anything, are there any business practices that now that business has slowed down now that you learned back then to, to help you survive and stabilize your business as a lender. Yeah. So when, when that happened, I was with a company out of California at the time. I've only been with three mortgage companies ever. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was with a company out of California. We had a lot of branches. Um, we were hedging loans, about a half a billion dollars, you know, 500 million a month mm-hmm. in volume. And they were one of the first to go out. Um, mm-hmm. We got caught hedging and it's not a good thing. You know, when when that happened, um, I became a broker and uh, I had a local friend here that for a few months let me use his broker's license until we got our broker's license. Um, And then um, Gershman Mortgage came calling and best decision I've ever made in my entire life. Um, When it comes to mortgage lending, you know, you have to prepare for the ups and downs. The Mm -hmm. problem that people don't realize is they think when we lend the money, we're done with it. Um, And we're not. After the loan closes, we're doing almost as much work as before the loan closes mm-hmm. because we have to go through compliance. We have to go through audits. We have to make sure that, you know, we did everything um, the way we were supposed to do it. And so we're still on the hook as a lender. Uh, even though that loan may be transferred off to another servicer, we're still on the hook because we are the lender. We're loaning our own money. We're underwriting the loan. We're guaranteeing that what we did is right. Mm-hmm. All of th- this company's doing, all the servicer is doing is collecting those payments. And if something goes bad, they come back after us and they Mm -hmm. say, Hey guys, you underwrote the loan. It was your money. You know, we're going to make you kind of pay for it. And so the nice thing about for my business and where I'm, I feel good about us is one, um, you know, Gershman mortgage is not only debt free, completely debt free. We fund all our own loans. We Mm -hmm. don't use warehouse lines. We don't use anybody else's money. We self-fund all of our closings, um, which is unique. There's not very, yeah. very mm-hmm. unique. Um, 
the other thing is Gershman Mortgage is a small enough company that when things like this happen, we're able to scale to where we don't have to shut down a bunch of branches. Right. We don't have to lay off a lot of people. Um, we're in a unique position because everybody wants to grow big. Everybody wants to be this huge company. But but the reality is, is the customer suffers from that. Mm-hmm. So the more we grow, the more our closing times, you know, it takes longer to close because we've got more people, more stuff. Um, they're not wanting to, they only want to bring on really good people. Sure. Mm-hmm. So we don't go out and just try to head hunt anybody and, and their brother. We don't have a lot of leases that, you know, like I own my building, for example, mm-hmm. you know, I lease it to myself, mm-hmm. um, right. but it's just a kind of a unique situation. And that's why I feel like yeah. we are probably in for another 12 to 18 months of this, mm-hmm. uh, maybe worse, mm-hmm. could get a little worse and we're positioned, um, really good to be able to handle it. Mm-hmm. Um, the last time this happened, unfortunately I was with not a great company, but when I got with Gershman, um, th- we were able to grow huge. Because a lot of the banks, the depository banks, pulled back from mortgage lending mm-hmm. um, because of the rules changes that right. happened. And then a lot of people like me weren't in a position to be able to close you know, loans on time. They had to let a lot of people go. They shut down offices here and sure. there. I mean, I heard stories where you would start with a loan officer on Monday, and by the next Monday, that person wasn't even at that place anymore mm-hmm. and couldn't hear from the Gosh. customer. Yeah, so there's a lot of stuff that went on. Right. Yeah. Right. So, so for our listeners out there who are... They're thinking interest rates are high right now. We just we heard a story from Tanya where the interest rates were 18% and the story that she was telling from the 80s. And obviously they're higher now. But what is what what tips do you have or strategies do you have for someone who's thinking about buying now and they understand that the interest rate is a little higher? Yeah. So I this is just my personal belief. I'm not a financial planner, expert, any of that stuff. Um, I hate paying interest. I'll mm-hmm. be honest with you. I don't, I pay stuff off as fast as I can physically pay it off. Mm-hmm. I'm not somebody that enjoys doing that. But if you're thinking about buying a home, I tell people don't wait right now. Mm-hmm. Do not wait. Mm-hmm. Um, everybody says, well, if I wait, I'm going to get a lower mm-hmm. rate when rates drop. The problem is, is because everybody's moving to the Midwest, our home prices are going up. Mm-hmm. So if you take your average $250,000 home, which unfortunately that's probably not average anymore. That's probably on the lower right. side of average. Mm-hmm. Yep. If you take that and you put 5% down and let's say rates are at 7.5% right now, you're going to be paying about $1,661 per month in principal and interest, okay? If you wait until rates drop, let's say it's 12 months from now, and we have an 8% increase in value. So now that home is, say, 270, <clears throat> putting the same 5% down, they're financing, I think, 256 at 6.5%, 1% lower it only drops your payment to sixteen twenty one, mm. so about forty bucks, thirty nine dollars. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, if you could still buy a two fifty house, yes, at six and a half percent, that drops it down to I believe fifteen oh one in principal and interest only mm-hmm. payment. But that's the problem. If you wait to buy, the home price is going to be higher. Mm-hmm. When rates drop, there's more people that enter into the market right. and want to buy. Exactly. They right. drive prices, and mm-hmm. so even though you think you're going to save money, you're not. I, mm-hmm. I yeah. suggest buy now if you can afford the payment. Mm-hmm. Don't buy your rate down because so many people say, right. oh, I'm going to spend $5,000 and buy my rate down. Yes, it might save you $100 a month. Right. But you have to own that house for 50 months before you realize the savings. If you spend one, 
If you spend, you know, five grand to save $100 a month, mm-hmm. that's 50 months before you actually recoup mm-hmm. that. Well, mm-hmm. you're going to refinance in 12 to 18 months based on what the experts are saying right. about rates, exactly. or what rates are going to do. So you're throwing that money away. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You're better off to do a $5,000 reduction in your principal than you are to buy the rate now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. I love that kind of forecast that you gave and also that opinion because so many lenders, I think many times promote buying the rates down. We hear so much Mm -hmm. about that Mm -hmm. and that that benefits the borrower. And I think having both perspectives, then they would get to make a choice, but you, you know, showing them exactly. I I run numbers. I look at amortization. I look at, I look at, you know, even when somebody calls and says, Hey, I want to refinance. The first thing I say is how long are you going to stay in the house? Mm -hmm. Well, we're thinking about moving in a couple of years. Okay. Well, let's run the numbers on that. Mm -hmm. You're going to spend four maybe 3500 to 5500 in the cost of a refinance. Mm-hmm. Now, that may be part of it you're resetting up your escrow account and you're going to get a refund and if you're smart, you'll pay into that and lower that down, but a lot right. of people don't. Right. Mm-hmm. They take that refund, they put it on a credit card, they do whatever. Yeah. But they may roll 3500 to 5500 in to their home loan on a refinance. Well, if they're going to save $200 a month, or whatever it may be, mm-hmm. and they're going to move out in 24 months. They're never, they're not going to recoup that to do it. And so you have to look at several factors. I also don't promote going back to a 30-year fixed, because people will be in it for three or four years, and mm-hmm. then they'll go from a 30 back to a 30. Well, most mm-hmm. of your interest isn't paid in the very in beginning. The beginning. Right. Yeah. So yeah. if you can go to a 25 or mm-hmm. a 20, mm-hmm. okay, you're going to save a ton of money and in interest. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people don't even talk about that or look at it. Mm-mm. I. I tell a lot of people don't refinance and they're like, what, why not? I'm like, well, you've refinanced two times already in the right. last two years. How much did it cost you? Look where right. your balance is. I can see it on your credit report. Right. Right. You went from this loan to this loan and now you owe 15,000 more than when you bought this thing. Gosh. Mm-hmm. Where did you save? Right. Right. Yeah. You know, so you, you have, there's other things that you can do and I'm not saying I don't do refinance. I do refinances. Yeah. I mm-hmm. just do them in a way that I make sure it's a benefit to sure. the customer. Absolutely. Right. So, or right. to, yeah. So, so since we are trying to tell our listeners how to overcome obstacles, uh, adversity, do you have any words of wisdom in ways that you keep a positive mindset or what, what do you do when, when you're faced with adversity? Any advice? As far as in mortgage lending? In, in anything, in life in general. You know, my, the way I look at things, too many people dwell or think, oh, this is going to happen or whatever. I, I try not to. I don't. Mm-hmm. Every day I get up and I'm like, all right, who am I going to be able to help today? Who am I going to mm-hmm. kind of guide through this home ownership path or anything in life? Mm-hmm. Um, I don't like to look and say, oh, we're, this is going to happen or we're going to have this crash or we're going to have that because ultimately I can't control that. There's right. nothing I'm going to do every single day that's going to help our administration handle whatever's going on in our country with this kind of mess they have going mm-hmm, on. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I just wake up every day and try to be as positive as I can and just keep pushing to help, you know, people make a good decision. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, the other thing is to be a hundred percent truthful with your customer, whether they want to hear it or not. Um, you know, giving them the best advice will always pay in my opinion, dividends. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I have people yep. that come back to me, even though I've referred them to a different place, like for instance, if somebody wanted a doctor loan, mm-hmm. we're not great at doctor loans. I, mm-hmm. I, you know, the honest to God's truth. Mm-hmm. My agents will send them to me and I'm like, eh, we're going to go over here and do this doctor loan over here because it's right. a better product for mm-hmm. that customer. Mm-hmm. But I can't tell you how many people will call and say, hey, 
I'm sending you my cousin because you actually yeah, were right. honest with me, yeah. yeah. you know, and I feel like you're going to take care of him. I'm 100% going to take I care of him. I love that. Yeah. 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 So. Yeah. Great advice. Well, thank you, Jack. I appreciate you again for coming in. And we hope that you, um, our listeners, have found some takeaways in part one and part two mm-hmm. of our Overcoming Objections episodes. So... We want to thank you, Jack and Gershman Mortgage, for the ongoing podcast availability here with your studio. Thank yes. you. I yeah. feel like that's maybe why I got invited. No, <laughs> no, no, no. Just kidding. <laughs> I had to overcome the <laughs> adversity. <laughs> exactly. That's so, right. thanks so much for joining yeah. us today, yes. and we will see you guys next time. Bye bye. Thanks for listening to the Simply Authentic Podcast. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram. Be sure to listen to us on your favorite podcasting app.